may get worse before it gets better, but the end result will be better. Or we can just have a good attitude about it and do a James chapter 1 and have joy in the midst of it. We can. We absolutely can do that. That would be a great attitude for the body of Christ. I think that would really turn the light of Christ on inside of each of us, don't you? I think the light would just shine brightly out of each one of us. And aren't we supposed to be that in the earth, especially in times of crises? Wow. Oh, hallelujah. Well, let's pray for a minute. I love, uh, I love that when the elders always come up and say, uh, and let's pray. I always watch and observe people's body language because when, when Barry's ready to pray, he always comes right here. And I'm saying, he's right here, and sometimes he'll do this. He'll put that foot right there on the line, and I'll say, one more step, and you're coming down, brother. You're off that throne. You know what I mean? And I'm going, Lord, order his steps. Order his steps. But he comes right here to pray. Hallelujah. There's something, and I've noticed the light's better here. So he just comes and gets under the light so he can be seen well. So I think I'll practice that this morning. There must be something to it. I do feel a little warmth. It's a little better here. All right. Hallelujah. Father, impact us with your word today. Your word is so good. It's so great. It's so powerful. I pray that you'll just um, allow the Holy Spirit to direct my thoughts and my speech, that it might bless and strengthen and undergird and solidify the body of Christ today, that we might leave here today with a renewed sense of direction and purpose that the Holy Spirit is ushering in a new vision, a new plan, a new strategy that, the, that, that Father has for the earth, that things are shifting in the heavenlies and that things are aligning with the purposes that you have set forth, God, for you're able to bring kingdoms down and you're able to build kingdoms up. And I pray, Father, that your kingdom, which has come, it's an unchangeable kingdom, but it is also an advancing kingdom. And I pray that in the midst of crises times that we will see your kingdom advanced in the earth. But we must be the people that are available to allow you to do it because we are kingdom people. And help us to set our thoughts here today on your kingdom-minded purpose that we might be effective vessels in advancing what you desire to do in the earth. In Christ's name, let it happen. And the church said amen. amen. Hallelujah. Let's go to Romans chapter 8. I love Romans. It's a great, great Expose. Paul does some wonderful things in the book of Romans. In 6, 7, and 8, he deals with a lot of things about what kind of people we ought to be, what God's called us to, how we deal with uh, the wretchedness of our flesh. Oh, sinful man that I am, he says in chapter 7, who's going to deliver me from this body of sin and death? 
It's thanks be to God, but then he gets to the capstone of, of it all in Romans chapter 8 when he says there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. And then he sums it up in verse 35 and says, who's going to separate us from the love of God? But sandwiched in between there are some real eye-opening things, one of which this week uh, really started messing with my theology. And um, it happened as I was listening this week to, to just in the process of being a well-informed uh, citizen of these United States, I was listening to the Presidential Task Force on the COVID-19 pandemic. And intrigued, when I heard Dr. Anthony Fauci, our renowned immunologist who is the leading authority uh, on this virus, make the following uh, observation at the outbreak, at the, at the onset of the outbreak. And he said this, well, we don't know what we don't know. I thought, well, that's reassuring. We don't know what we don't know. That statement being made, the stock market takes a nosedive and fear begins to sweep the nation. Panic. We've got panic buying now. Why in God's name is there a run on toilet paper? We can't find it anywhere. Sam's, Publix, Walmart, Aldi, you go to all of them. There was a line all the way out to the road at Sam's at 6 o'clock in the morning. Toilet paper and paper towels. An outbreak of panic and coupled with that anxiety. The country is wreaking havoc on life as we know it. Whether we like it or not, uncertainty is a part of life. We're struck by tragedy. And we have to deal with grief. We're taken advantage of and we have to deal with anger. We're ripped off and we deal with rage. We're abandoned and we deal with bitterness. We lose everything and we have to deal with failure. We come in second and we have to deal with defeat. We experience repeated setbacks and we have to deal with a poor self-image. But the problem is not so much encountering uncertainties, but finding a way to neutralize those uncertainties, to take the sting out of it, to try and remove the pain. And in our passage today, Scripture speaks to us at our lowest point, at our deepest fear and anxiety. And the hope is that it will raise us to new heights. It'll find us at our weakest point and transform us into our strongest selves. Within its truths, we'll find eternal dimensions that pick us up at our saddest and rejuvenate us to experience the highest joys of the presence and the glory of the living God. We're living in uncertain times, it's for sure. 
It's been said, when you come to the edge of all that, the light that you know, and you're about to step off into the darkness of the unknown, faith knows two things will happen. There will be something solid to stand on, or you will be taught how to fly. Hallelujah. Sometimes I need to spread my wings and fly. I need to get up as high as the eagles. Huh? Hello? They that wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary, walk and not faint. Lord, will you teach us today in these uncertain times how to wait on you. I know um, I'll date myself when I, when I give you this little nugget because it go, this is a song that goes way back, but it came to my remembrance as I was putting this message together today. If I was giving it a title, I'd call it Living with Uncertainty. I'm living with it, and I'm also living in it. Does the word of the Lord speak to that? This old song came to me. It's an old one. It says, I don't know about tomorrow. I just live from day to day. I don't borrow from its sunshine. For its skies may turn to gray. I don't worry o'er the future, for I know what Jesus said. And today I'll walk beside him, for he knows what is ahead. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to understand. But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Give him praise in the house of the Lord today. Hallelujah be to God. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Come on, somebody. Yes. I can make it as long as I know who's holding my hand. Right? Romans chapter 8, starting with verse 22. Amplified version I'm reading from, so if you have the KJV, NIV, BBE, ESV, just read along with me. It'll, it'll fall in and translate the same. We know that the whole creation of irrational creatures has been moaning together in the pains of labor until now. 
not only the creation, but we ourselves too, who have and enjoy the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, a foretaste of the blissful things to come. Grown inwardly as we wait for the redemption of our bodies from sensuality in the grave, which will reveal our adoption, our manifestation as God's sons. For in this we were saved, but hope, the object of which is seen, is not hope. For how can one hope for what he already sees? But if we hope for what is still unseen by us, we wait for it with patience and composure. So too the Holy Spirit comes to our aid and bears us up in our weakness. For we do not know, oops, stop right there. That's the one that started messing with my theology right there. For we do not know. Many things about tomorrow I don't seem to, I don't know. Scripture even says, take no thought of tomorrow. Don't worry about it. Don't stress over it. But we know not. We don't know. There are certain things we don't know what we don't know, Dr. Fauci said. Life as we know it has changed. And we don't know as we move forward what direction, what shape, what form it will take. We know that Isaiah 55 tells us that his ways and his thoughts are higher than ours. In order for us to begin to get on the plane that God's on, we have to get in a place of undoneness. We have to get into a place to where His glory and His revelation can be revealed to us. Isaiah 54 tells us that no weapon formed against us will prosper. So how do we address this theology that says there are things in life that come to us that we don't know I don't know about my job I don't know about the marriage I, I, the kids are home now in an indefinite period school's out we're having to reinvent the educational process we're having to look at how we do business in our culture and still make things work and how do we keep the bills paid and how do we keep the the lights on how do we make things work together out of something that makes sense? It's all kind of maddening. We don't know. It's uncertain. I've discovered you cannot be God-conscious and self-conscious at the same time. The more you're aware of God, the less you are aware of your troubles. We need to allow the Holy Spirit in these uncertain times of not knowing to do the heavy lifting. So in our weakness, He can increase 
our strength. His strength is perfect. People usually come to hear preachers preach because they think they know something. I'm here to tell you today, I know not. I don't know it all because what I've come to understand is that the beginning of wisdom is that once I get it, I may not want it. You always know you're in the presence of, the, of a fool when they try to tell you they know too much. The beginning of wisdom is understanding our limitations and being comfortable with the fact that we know not. We're constantly bombarded with the information of life, and life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. Constantly reminded of the fact that we're not in control. Hello, somebody. But we've got this mini computer in our pockets called the cell phone, the GPS. It's supposed to direct us and tell us which way we're going. And if we don't know how to get there, we just call up Google Maps and we get it going. And all of a sudden, we know that we're trying to get someplace. But in the trying to get there, stress begins to build if the GPS is not working correctly. Even if we're on the right road, it's stressful. You can be on the right road and not be sure. Well, I thought I was supposed to turn here. I've even been on the GPS and the GPS sent me the wrong way. Uncertainty creates its own pressure because it seems hard to get to our destination. Seems like it takes a long time to get to the place. But here's the idea. The more you drive to that destination, the easier it is becomes to get there. Even though you're on the right road, what was wearing on you is wearing on us today is the fact that uncertainty is prevalent in our culture. Not being sure. The pressure's not coming from the road or the tires or the car being lost. It's coming from driving with the feeling of uncertainty. Have you ever dri driven that way? Well, I'm not sure. Especially if your wife is telling you which way to go, which turns to make. And you're feeling the stress because if you make the wrong turn, you're going to hear about it. I, to I told you which way to go. If you'd have went the way I told you, we wouldn't be lost. Has its own stress. You're driving to a place that you've already been. When you're driving there, it becomes less stressful. I've already been this way. I was reminded about our son going through three open heart surgeries. The last one just back in 16. 
And I remembered as we were preparing for that day to come, the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, you know, you've already been this way. You've already traveled this road two times before. You trusted me then. It's okay to trust me now. I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going with this. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to settle down on your promise, on what your word has declared, and I'm going to trust you in the midst of it. Noted Harvard psychologist, named Daniel Gilbert, says that Americans are smiling less and worrying more than ever. Happiness is down and sadness is up. We're getting less sleep and we're more depressed. The real problem, he says, is not that people don't have enough money. It's that people don't know what's going to happen. Will I have a job next week? What's in the future? What's ahead for me? The problem is this, we're going a way that we've never gone before. We know not. This is uncharted territory. If we personalize it, we're raising children we've never raised before. You're in a role that you've never been in before. You're at a stage in life that you've never been at before. You may be in a job that you've never worked at before. Every age brings a new challenge. You know how to be a teenager, but the moment that you know how to do it, you're not that anymore. You know how to be a young adult, but by the time you figure it out, you're not a young adult anymore. You know how to be a senior citizen, but by the time you figure it out, you're not that anymore. Everything is your first time to do it, and the reality is we don't get a do-over. You can't send the kids back into the womb and say, let me raise you again. You've got to raise them uncertain. How many parents have ever been there before? We raise them uncertain. I've heard it said from this pulpit, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a parent. I know not. <laughs> it's uncertain. So you start drawing from people who've done it before. That is, if you've got sense. I, started, I figured that out early on. Go look up people who are doing it successfully and go to school on their experience. If I know not and they know, I need to know what they know. Don't allow your ego to get in the way. Don't allow your pride to get in the way. You pull from people who've done it before and you try to implement what they've told you because you're dealing with the pressures of uncertainties in life. 
Look at your life and look at the things that we're facing for the very first time in our culture. We've never been this way before. We're in a new setting this morning because we've never been this way before. We don't know which way we're going. We get used to not having kids and then we've got them. By the time we get used to having them, they leave. You get used to being a young married couple and then you're not. You get used to being middle-aged and then one of you dies. Now you're single again. And then you're married again. The point is, when we're in the middle of crises, you've got to go through it before you understand it. I've got to go through some things. I'm going through some trials and some tests. James says the reason you're going through it is so that God may work maturity into your life. He's working through some things so that you become more proficient at dealing with it. By the time I got to a third open heart surgery with our son, I was a little more proficient at dealing with it. I had an expectation. I knew what to expect. There were some things at the first surgery I didn't know. I didn't know if I'd ever see him alive again. But by the time I got to the third one, and he was in his mid-twenties, and we walked in and joined hands around the bed in the pre-op, the surgeon walks in and he looks and says, Doc, you're a believer. Join hands with us. And he began to pray. And the Holy Spirit began to pray through him. Before Dad was praying, I was praying then, but it was refreshing to know that what I had deposited in him had begun to take root and begin to take shape and mold and fashion and shape his life. And by the time he finished the prayer, he looks up at the surgeon and he says, let's get on with it, Doc, because either way I win. I had to go through it in order to learn how to live with the uncertainty. I've discovered that the only people who think they really know something are young people. I was young once. When I was your age as a young person, my dad was stupid. He knew nothing. I knew everything. I knew everything about everything. The fact of the matter was, I didn't know anything. Have you ever been advised by somebody who's never done it before? They can give you all kinds of advice about how it ought to be done. I guarantee you they're younger than you are. The younger you are, the more you look at something that you've never done before, but you don't learn by looking, you learn by doing. The only professionals at it are people who haven't done it. Because once you do it, you find out that everything is not as certain as you thought it would be. It's not as black and white as we thought it would be. 
the older I get, I learn to respect the backdraft of life. I learn to look at the repercussions. When I was younger, I heard people telling me how to be a father, how to run a business, how to buy a house. You know everything about it until you have to do it. The more you do things, instead of becoming so secure, you learn how things can change in a flash. A few weeks ago, our 401ks were bulging. Today, the stock market is tanked, and we're on the verge of a total economic collapse. We don't know. Things changed in a matter of weeks, and we don't know yet how it's going to turn out. We could lose everything in a moment. Experience teaches us to respect what we're up against. Young people get married in a flash. I don't care what you don't like about him, Mama. I love him and I'm going to marry him. I don't care what you say. I'm tired of you controlling my life. Nine months later, they say, for we know not. <laughs> we have buyer's remorse. What have I gotten myself into? Uncertainty creates its own pressure. Unless the young people think that I'm throwing you under the bus today, I don't want you to leave with tire tracks on your back. That's not pastor's uh, intent. Let me go on record as saying that I love young people. I raised three of them. I have seven grandchildren now, and I can tell you this, I'm your biggest fan. I love you. I love young people. I love to see them flourish. I love to see them discovering new things and doing what God wants them to. But I also love, I also love young people who love to go to school on other people's experience especially if it's a godly one especially if it's godly instruction what we did here this morning is vital we've had the opportunity and I always told my congregations uh, you don't have to but you get to that's the beauty of serving the Lord you get to you get to enter into worship when you enter into worship stress goes down in fact I'll make you a guarantee you can't truly worship and worry at the same time Hallelujah, I've discovered that one. That's a good one. 
If you really start worshiping, the more you worship God, the bigger He becomes in the situation. The Bible says, and what did we sing this morning? We exalt Thee. The bigger He becomes and the smaller my situation becomes. Magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. It doesn't mean just praising Him. It means our vision of Him gets bigger. He begins to fill in all the voids and all the holes and all the uncertainties. He fills in the blanks. He gets bigger and your problem gets smaller. It becomes difficult to worry about what you were worrying about because I'm now in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You bring your problems into His presence, all of a sudden the pressure goes down. Why? Because I learn that He's able to do exceedingly, abundantly above all that I could ever ask or think. I begin to realize how big He is. How b Listen, we serve a big God. He's a great God. And the question is posed to us today, is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing. Because he's the God of the impossible. What's impossible with us becomes possible with God. Those are when God's possibilities begin to take over. So worship is vital. Worship is important. The reason church doesn't work for a lot of people is because we go to church like we go to the movies. We come to watch people perform. We come to watch people entertain us. Church only benefits us when we participate. Church only benefits us when we enter in, not spectate. Scripture says that you enter into his courts with thanksgiving and praise. And as you begin to worship, you find that he begins to bring the change necessary to help us see life from a different perspective, even though we're, we may have looked through the lens of uncertainty. If you're stressed out, it may be because you didn't worship. If you're moody, could it be because you don't worship? If you're hard-headed, could it be you're not worshiping? The reason you're such a hothead, because you're living with such uncertainty, you have a temper tantrum because you can't handle it by yourself. You fly off the handle at a moment's notice. You must enter into His presence. We don't participate because we get joy from watching. But joy will never replace participating. Because until you enter His presence, you won't get engaged. I've said it before, it bears repeating today. Many of us come to church just to date God. He wants to marry you. 
He's a covenant God. We need to stop dating him. Revelations tells us that he's the bridegroom and we're the bride. And he's preparing us. Could it be that in these uncertain times, he's trying to get out some more of the blemishes and wrinkles in our wedding garment so that we can be properly adorned for his soon return? I'm stepping into the presence of God. I'm participating so that the experiences that I have are genuine experiences that never leave me at the mercy of people with a good argument. This isn't something I just watch and clap at the end of it. I'm stepping over into a new dimension of His presence. I'm saying no to uncertainty. When I don't know, I say I drag my problem over into it and I say, I'm going to show you who the real boss is. His name is Jesus. He's the King of kings. He's the Lord of lords. And He is doing exceedingly, abundantly above all that I could ask or think. When I get involved from that perspective, the glory of God falls. I turn it over to him because he's able to handle past, present, and future. I lift my hands in praise because there's something bigger inside of me at work. Someone smarter than me. Hallelujah. And the more I know that all of my help, all of my strength, all that I need comes from Jehovah Jireh, the Lord God, who is my provision and my provider. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the changeless God and the changeless Christ, and I can depend upon Him in all of life's uncertainties. So, Lord, all of my circumstance, I give it to You. Hmm. Dave alluded to it a moment ago, and it's true. The presence of the Lord is in this room. Two or three are gathered together in my name. I'm there in the midst with you. We want to turn it loose this morning. Turn it over to him. The uncertainties. We don't know where this nation's going. We don't know where this pandemic's going. We don't know how things are going to work out, how things are going to turn out. But God says, I want you, even in the midst of uncertainty, to trust me. I want you to trust me. Possibly one of the greatest lessons, and I'm still working on mastering it, is learning how to trust. Learning how to trust him. How to lean upon Him. Now we say we trust Him. We even sing that, that dangerous hymn. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him. How I've proved Him o'er and o'er. 
Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, oh, for grace to trust Him more. Oh, for grace to trust Him more. That intrigued me, so I asked the Holy Spirit one day, I said, Lord, how will I know when I'm truly trusting you? The answer came back. When you can learn to rest in the midst of the storm. When you can rest in the midst of the storm. Are you resting today? Is your soul at peace? Dave prayed that prayer today. Lord, give us your peace in the midst of what we're going through. We're going through this. The disciples are on the Sea of Galilee and the storm has come up. It's raging. They're in a whirlwind. Jesus is asleep in the boat. Lord, don't you care if we perish? How many are praying that prayer today? God, don't you see what America's going through? We're in a pandemic. We're in crises. Don't you care? Don't you see the dilemma? People are losing their jobs. They can't feed their families. They can't pay their bills. All of the major industries are in crises. It looks like we're going down. We're going under. We're on the Titanic, Lord. We're sinking. Stay in the boat. Jesus is on board. Learn to rest in Him. Rest in Him. Not in your strength. Not in what you can do. Lord, I give it to you. It's yours. I give the anxiety to you. I give the worry to you. I give the fear to you. I give all that's going on. I'm scared, Lord. It's okay to admit that, for we know not. Boy, I'm glad Scripture addressed that. We know not. There are things that I don't know. But here's the good news. The second part of that verse says, the Holy Spirit begins to pray through us. He begins to make intercession on our behalf. He begins to pray in a heavenly language that is communicating with our heavenly Father, that He knows what we need before we even ask. Does anyone think here today that this pandemic has caught God by surprise? <laughs> Not on your life. This didn't catch him by surprise. He's not sitting up there wringing his hands going, I wonder what America's going to do in the midst of this crisis. As a matter of fact, I can tell you what he's doing. He's seated. When he declared it is finished, and he came off that cross and came out of that tomb, he made a powerful declaration there. The work is complete. 
Everything that you have need of as believers is now provided for you. It's up to you to take authority and take advantage of what I've already finished and completed. And he went over to the Father's house and sat down on the throne. And he's still there today as your intercessor making intercession on your behalf. Hallelujah be to God. But the Holy Spirit He prays. He makes intercession. For we don't know what we should pray as we ought. If I'm praying from a posture of fear, I don't know, is my prayer getting through? But the Holy Spirit always knows because He's praying in the perfect will of the Father. He's praying according to what the Father desires. So the point is, we're not waiting on God. He's waiting on us. We don't need to posture ourselves in a place of anxiety and fear and perplexity. Sometimes I get weary with hearing people say, well, I'm just waiting on God. No, you're not waiting on God. His work is finished. It's complete. He's waiting on you. God's not sitting up there in heaven with some arthritic, decrepit posture. He's sitting up there waiting to hear the cry of His children. For His ear is ever tuned to the cry of the righteous. And we, be, we begin to effect His word. When we begin to speak the things in the authority of His Word, He's ready to answer. He's ready to deliver. He's ready to make good on His promise. For whom the Son has set free, Scripture declares is free indeed. I'm not talking to any free people in the house today. Hallelujah. Now for some of us, God's waiting on us to stop acting like we've got it all together. We're trying to impress everybody with how smart we are. God's waiting on us to say, Lord, I don't know. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to be a good husband. I don't know how to be a good father. I don't know how to be a good wife. I don't know how to be a good mother. I don't know how to get out of debt. I don't know how to get healed. I don't know how to be happy. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know, Lord, but you know. He's freed us, so quit walking around in guilt. Romans 8, verse 1 tells us there's no condemnation to those that are in Christ. The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus set me free from the law of sin and death. By the time I get to verse 35, nothing can separate me from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Starts out with love and it ends there. But the meat's in the middle. 
The meat is in the middle. It's in the middle where we enter into the discussion of a deeper understanding of the things of God and the nature of God and who God is and His work in us. God is desiring to do a deeper-seated work in the midst of this crisis. There is more time for personal introspection. God, what are you saying? God, what are you doing? God, what have you called me to do? God, what do you want me to do? The hardest part of any stage in life that we're going through is in the middle. It's like a marriage. You start out in love, you end up in love. I started out in love this July 7th will be 47 years ago. 47 years ago. 47 years with the same woman. Hallelujah. She's more beautiful now than she was then. And she was beautiful then. She, oh, she just walked back in. 47 years, we started out in love. Everything's in the middle. We started out with no kids in the house. When our firstborn came into the world, I slept on the couch all night long. I'd been used to sleeping in my bed. No more. There's a baby in the house. I laid on the couch sleepless all night long. I lay there and I said, God, what have I done? What have I done? I've created a new life and here they are. And then she grew in and our second born came along and our our third born came along and we've got this wonderful family and we enjoy vacationing together and doing things as a family and getting together and all of a sudden one gets married and eight weeks later the next one gets married and Ryan we didn't ever know if he was going to launch <laughs> but he finally launched and now he's married and we're empty nesters And so now it's just us. And so we get to go back and do some of the things we were doing as newlyweds. We're talking and communicating because our time's not having to be subdivided among the young'uns. But the good news is the young'uns love to come back home. If you do it right the first time, you, only, you don't get a do-over. It's uncertain But if you work at doing it right, they'll want to stay with you. They'll want to come home. Our firstborn just called us last night. She said, "Uh, Daddy, um, we'll be heading to Florida at 5 o'clock in the morning. I said, Rhea, why are you coming home? She said, when you're in a crisis, you want to be with your family. I want to be with my family. 
I look back and I see our second born and her family are here in service with us today. Ryan's probably watching my live stream critiquing my message today. Good. Thank you, brother. I need that because uh, he, he knows how to critique dad. But they love to be there and they love to be with family. It's in the middle. What my point is this, if you do it right on the front end, See, because a lot of times now Madeline and I have to help each other up. But if you do it right and you deposit into your children, one day they'll be helping you up. They'll be there for you. They'll be there to deposit into your life if you deposit into their life. It's what's in the middle. It's what's in the middle that counts. Let me show you this. Verse 22, we know that the whole of creation groans in pains and labor together until now. And now look at verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love the Lord. We know, we know. But look at verse 26. We know not. In verse 22, we know. In verse 28, we know. But in verse 26, right in the middle, we know not. That's what I'm talking about. It's in the middle where you have the most uncertainty. We're in the middle of this pandemic right now. The questions are being asked by the press and the media. Well, how long do you think it's going to take? Well, we don't know. How long do you think it's going to take before we can go back to work? How long do you think it's going to take before we can lift the travel bans? We don't know. We don't know how long it's going to take. It depends on how well you exercise discipline in the middle of uncertain times. We're in the middle of this thing. More cases are being reported every day. More deaths are being reported every day. More recoveries are being reported every day. Thank God, more recovering than more than are dying. But that's not to minimize those who've lost loved ones. My God, my heart breaks. I have a colleague in ministry in Cartersville, Georgia. He's a friend of mine. He's the music pastor there at the church in Cartersville. One choir member infected 41 choir members. Four are in the hospital in critical condition and one has already died. That's how tough it is. It's when it comes home. It's when it's personal. Your heart breaks. Your heart aches. It's uncertain. God, how did this happen? We were in choir practice. We were doing something that was going to bless, was going to lead people into the presence of the Lord in worship. Yet this pandemic comes. It affects us. It's in the middle of all this. How's it going to work out? How's things going to, how are things going to turn out? Some good things are happening. I'll give you a little economic tidbit here this morning. No charge for this. Not that I was charging anyway. But 
good things are happening. Interest rates have come down. Guess what I discovered when I was a mortgage holder? See, when you get to where I am now, my house is paid for. Hallelujah. I feel like Dave Ramsey. I want to give a debt-free scream. <laughs> I'm debt-free! You know, that kind of deal. When your house is paid for, it's a good thing. But guess what? In the course of paying off that mortgage, we refinanced two times as interest rates lowered. Guess what? Our payment went lower, and the years we owed were less. Guess what? little tidbit for those of you that are younger out there. You can do this with your automobile. You can do this with your house. Anything that you have debt on. Interest, when interest rates are down, it's time to refinance. Okay? You say, we know not. Look to people who are doing it. Look to people who've done it. This will be a blessing in your life. It'll help you. These are things that are, it, it looks like, man, everything's just, it, we're, it's wreaking havoc on us. We don't know which way to go. Here are some, here are some positive signs. Here are some, th- some practical things that we can do in the midst of this. Because guess what? In the midst of uncertainty, the Lord loves to impart wisdom to us when we ask Him. The Lord loves to give us direction when we ask Him. This is not a time as the elders have said, for us to be finger-pointing, for us to get cocky, for us to get arrogant, for us to be full of ourselves, like we're the only ones full of faith, like we're the only ones that have got it all together. The reality is we don't know. People who talk like that many times are talking so bold and so arrogant and so cocky, so full of themselves because they're insecure. Our personalities, we use that to try to cover things up that we want to mask. Generally, it means I'm scared to death. I'm afraid to be vulnerable. Hello, somebody. Now, there's a deal I could park there for a while. I'm afraid to be vulnerable. I'm unwilling to humble myself. I'm unwilling to say, Lord, I don't know, but you know. I don't know the way, but you are the way. I don't understand what truth you're going to surface here and what you're going to bring about, but you are the truth. I don't know in the midst of dying and death and all the negativity that's happened, I know that you are the life, and I'm going to find life and health and strength in you because you are my hope and you are my provision and you are more than able to bring it to pass. That's what true worship is. The Lord wants to teach some of us to get out of our arrogant positions and learn to worship Him. But you've got to get off your throne long enough. Hello? Get off your throne long enough and place Christ on the throne and you take up your cross, deny yourself, and follow Him. Hello, somebody. 
Let me wrap it up here. Because I haven't done this in a while, but I, and I could go for a while because I love, I love uh, ex- expounding the Word of God. Everything's changing. Everything's moving at rapid pace. If we can open our hearts today in humility to say to the Lord, I'm not as smart as I pretend to be, and I don't know everything, and I'm going to stop acting like I know everything. I'm going to stop fussing about the way things are. I'm going to stop finger-pointing, and I'm going to start try, stop trying to manipulate people and make people miserable. I'm just going to say, Lord, I don't know how this thing's going to turn out. I don't know how it's going to work out, but I know that you know. And I know that you're going to make a way and you're going to provide in the midst of my confusion. What happens? Bless your heart, the Holy Spirit comes fully loaded and fully prepared to get you through the process. Why? Because he's Alpha and he's Omega. He's the beginning. He's the end. He knows when this thing started. He knows how it's going to turn out and how it's going to end. He's the first and he's the last. He's going to get you through the process because he says, my name is Jehovah Jireh and I am your perfect provision and I will do exactly what I promised you that I'd do and I'll bring it to pass. So don't try to hide it from me. Don't try to get it out of sight, out of mind, because there's nothing hidden from the Lord. Just lay it out there. Lay your life out there before Him. All of it. What you're going through right now. I know as I'm ministering today, everybody's filtering it through your own field of experience. What's happened in your own personal life, your own struggles. Let me tell you something. God's right there in the midst of it. He's in the middle of it. It's in the middle where we find out that restoration happens. It's in the valley that he restores my soul, Dottie Rambo wrote. In the valley, he restores my soul. You can't hide it from your wife. You might try, but she'll figure it out, guys. You're certainly not going to hide it from the Lord. I can't run this business. I can't stop death. I can't stop disaster. I can't stop this pandemic. But after all, God, I'm not in control. You are. So I'm turning it over to you. You're able to fix it. You're able to fix things that I can't fix in and of myself. So the Spirit of the Lord, come on down, Holy Ghost. For when I don't know what to pray, the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit will start praying. And when He starts praying and He starts speaking inside of me, I don't always know what He says when I'm praying in the Holy Ghost. I don't know what He's, what he's trying to tell me at that moment, but I know this, there's a peace in my spirit. There's a peace, a deep, settled confidence in my spirit that when he begins to speak, I begin to feel better about the situation. When I begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, I can begin to see a vision of how he's going to turn things around for my good. 
I begin to see that things are broken off of me. And the more I begin to pray, the more healing comes. The more restoration comes. The more the things that I can't see begin to come in revelation and faith begins to rise in my spirit. Because he's made provision in the midst of my confusion and uncertainty. So open our, let's open our mouths today. Open our mouths with praise and thanksgiving. Let's get off the throne. Let's come down off our high horse in the high place and humble ourselves before the Lord. We don't know what we should pray, but He's waiting to help us in our time of need. He's waiting because He's going to get us through this because our hope is not in the arm of the flesh and the arm of man. Our hope is in the Lord. We will hope in the Lord. He's the one that's made everything. So give God a seat in the middle. Give God a seat in the middle. When life's uncertainties come, begin to praise the Lord. Why? Well, here's my golden text of Scripture. It's verse 28. I'm glad I've got a better handle on what's in the middle. That I don't know, but when I begin to pray in the Holy Spirit, He leads me to verse 28. That I know that all things work together for good to them who love the Lord, who are the called according to His purpose. I know that He can turn, turn it around completely for good in our lives if we are completely, listen to this. I heard Bob Gladstone say it a couple of Wednesday nights ago. Salvation means complete surrender. It's about complete surrender. And can I add, it's complete surrender to Him in loving worship. Fall in love with Him afresh and anew. And allow the Holy Spirit to do things in our lives that only He can do in moments of uncertainty in times of crises. Andre Crouch penned these words and I'm through. Must have been that he wrote for a time like this. He said, I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. There have been times I didn't know right from wrong. But in every situation, God gave blessed consolation that my trials come to only make me strong. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Oh, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Hallelujah.
I know who holds tomorrow. And I know who holds my hand. Can we stand together? Father, you're so good. You are so good. In the midst of uncertain times, you are our rock in a weary land. Many are stressed, filled with anxiety, fear scared to death about what's going to happen in the days and weeks to come. But you hold our future in the palm of your hand. And when we place our trust in you, we know that you will uphold us. We know that you have not left us, nor have you forsaken us. And today we open our mouths with praise. And ask, Father, that your glory would come in revelation, in vision, in dreams, in the midnight hour. Let us see you in dimensions that we've never seen you before. Open your word to us that the things that we have not known heretofore will come to light. May the nearness of our relationship with you bring fresh revelation. And truth will spring forth like a wellspring out of our belly. Father, let things be spoken out of our mouths in praise and worship that will draw you so near to us that your glory will fill our lives like the smoke that filled the tabernacle when it was dedicated. Father, we thank you today that you grant us the privilege to fall more deeply in love with you than ever before. And thank you because of that love we have an assurance that only you can take a bad situation and turn it around and make good out of it. It's only you that can do that. There is no other one that we can look to beside you. And good will come out of this because America will turn its face back to you. And you have promised that when we fall on our face in humility and humble ourselves before you, that healing will come to our land. And so, Father, we ask you today to bring healing to this nation. Heal America, Father. Do what only you can do because your hand is upon this nation and you are calling us back to yourself because out of your love, you said, I'm a jealous God. I don't want you going after other gods. And Lord, you've destroyed so many things that have become idols in our lives. You've brought them down so that we can only see you shining in the light of your glory. 
pour out your power. Pour out your love. For you're holy. And we worship you today. In the strong name of the risen Son of the living God, let the church say amen. Amen, amen and amen. Can we give God a hand clap of praise in the house of the Lord today? Hallelujah, Lord. Amen. Well, we're going to, we're going to continue to press, practice social distancing as best we can. I say that a bit facetiously, but um, the elders would have me tell you, and I'm available too, if there's anyone who needs prayer, we want to do what James chapter 5 says, if there's any sick among us. If there's any of you that need prayer, you're going through an uncertain time, you're in the middle of a stressful situation, you need prayer, the elders are available to pray over you and to pray with you and to agree with you. I'll be here with them and we'll be able to pray the prayer of faith with you and come into agreement and alignment with the Word of God that God, our Jehovah Jireh, is going to supply all our needs according to His riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. If not, you're dismissed to go. Have a great day. Have a great week. Keep on discovering the things that God's doing in your life. We'll see you Wednesday night at 6.30. Praise the Lord. God bless you.